I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Would you pray with me? Father, your praise will ever be on our lips. How can we ever stop thanking you, God, for your goodness? Your praise uh, comes from your people, Lord, and you say that you inhabit our praise. So, Lord, dwell in this house, in the house of your people, lifting you up and exalting your name. Lord, if ever we loved you, we love you now. Lord, we are thankful to love you out loud, to speak, Lord, about how you have blessed us through other believers. And we're thankful, God, for all that you have done, all that you are doing now, and all that you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, so good to worship with you today. My friend Jim Dennison tells about a kindergarten teacher named Mrs. Klein, and she asked her kindergarten students to draw a Thanksgiving picture. You probably did this when you were in kindergarten. And she got the uh, expected uh, pictures that you would see, a picture of a pilgrim, a picture of a turkey, um, things like that, a picture of a ship, all these things that you know, remind us of Thanksgiving. But one little boy, Douglas, just drew a hand, and she thought that was unusual, and so she was about to ask him, and the kids started weighing in, and one said, that's, that's God's hand. God does all things well, and so God, that's, he drew a picture of God's hand, and somebody else said, no, that's the farmer's hand. He's planting the seeds, and and somebody else said, that's a policeman's hand. He watches out over us. And finally, Ms. Klein asked Douglas, so whose hand is it? And he looked up at her and said, it's your hand because you're the one who holds my hand when we cross the street, when we're going to the playground. And she remembered just that touch, just that kindness. And so when he thought of Thanksgiving, he thought of a person. So who is the person that comes to mind? Who, when you think of them, makes you grateful? For me, Philippians 1 is such a powerful passage when he says, every time I remember you, I always thank God for you. I'm always thanking God for you. This is the way we feel about Tallowood. And I notice in the scriptures a beautiful picture of one person who gives another person a reason to be grateful. And I wondered if we could do that, if we could make others Grateful. Would you open your Bibles with me? Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Next week in your Sunday school classes, you will be looking either at this passage or Matthew 25, where Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, or Deuteronomy 10, where Moses said, you're supposed to take care of the stranger, the guest who's in your gate. You're supposed to care for them and take care of the widow and the orphan. Your job is to love other people Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. It's a familiar story. Perhaps we can hear it with different ears today. Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and 
Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. A rabbi's student asked the rabbi, why do rabbis always answer questions with questions? The rabbi responded, why shouldn't rabbis always answer questions with questions? This is the way Jesus taught. So here is this expert in the law. Now, this is not an expert in constitutional law. This is an expert in the law of God. He is a a student, a scribe, a, a, a deeply intent student of the law of the Old Testament, and he thinks he can test Jesus. So given the opportunity, he says, Um, How do I inherit eternal life? Which is, we would all agree, a very good ambition. He wants to live, not just forever, but he wants to live the eternal kind of life, the the life of God. And he he asks that question, and Jesus answers him with a question and says, how do you read it? You're an expert in the law. How do you read the law? And he answers well. We know that because on another occasion, when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, he actually uses the same two passages of Scripture from the, the Shema in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And, and Jesus adds to that with all your mind. And Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. This presents a bit of a problem for the expert in the law because even though he's an expert in the law, he's not especially an expert in love. His love is limited. He draws boundaries. There are some people he loves and some people he's not willing to love. He's not unlike the rest of us when he wants to justify himself. Surely my limited love is enough love, he says, to fulfill that commandment. And Jesus answers him by telling him a story and asking him another question. We've heard this story so many times We can't hear it the way they heard it. Because in those days, there were lots of stories about a priest and a Levite. But here's the thing. The priest and the Levite were always followed by the Israelite. So the the expert, the, the real expert in religion, the priest, and then the junior expert, the Levite, and then just a regular person in these stories would show up the priest and the Levite. Yay for the lay people. They get it. Maybe the preacher doesn't get it. Maybe the deacons don't get it. But at least the church member gets it. That's the way these stories always went. So don't you imagine 
When Jesus said Samaritan, you could have heard a pin drop. In fact, when Jesus says, which one do you think was a neighbor? Jesus doesn't actually ask him, uh, answer him in terms of who, who is his neighbor, but he says, this is how you act like a neighbor. And, and which one do you think? Another question. And he won't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy. As if to say, I'm not even going to say that word out loud. It's a troubling story for people in Jesus' day, but we've become so familiar with it that we forget that they were very angry at the Samaritans. The, The Samaritan was always the other, always on the outside looking in. And unless I miss my guess, there's a Samaritan in your world. There's somebody you would say, A person like that is just beyond hope, beyond grace, without without hope. There's no way to help a person like that. And Jesus' story brings us back to the question, how do we live our lives in ways that make other people grateful? It turns out that we're actually supposed to live the kind of life that the Good Samaritan lived, which then will result in praise to God. Others will be grateful when we live life this way. We see three attitudes in this passage. i just highlight them for you briefly. Uh, first, in verse 30, here's the attitude of the thieves. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it if I want it. We know that there are people in the world who, who steal from other people. We saw it even in Hurricane Harvey, and there were those who wanted to loot other places. I've heard about other cities where they would win a national championship or they would win uh, the World Series like the Houston Astros did. And when they had the parade, people would actually break into stores and steal things and burn cars. And it's just amazing how sometimes the worst times bring out the worst in others. Here's a man who's been beaten. He's been left by the road. And um, these thieves have said, what's yours is mine, and I will take it. We don't want to be that person because obviously that person doesn't bring gratitude to God when we think about those who steal from us. I think about William Sangster, the preacher, who said after he was robbed, thank you, God, that I was robbed And I wasn't the one who robbed. Even worse than being stolen from would be the one who's actually doing the stealing. God, thank you that I'm not that person. But for the most part, we're not especially appreciative of of those. We're going up to Arkansas to visit Chase, and and I was just talking to him about, you know, uh, where we were going to park our car and all of that. And he said, most people in Arkansas just leave their car doors unlocked. He said, we don't want to get our windows broken out when people steal stuff, so we just leave them open. And then, you know, they just come in, they can get in there, and then, you know, I have to break my window to steal from me. I was like, wow, really? That's that's not good. But Chase went through some of that, lost some laptops here in town, uh, when somebody broke into his car, broke in, into our house uh, on one occasion. And I just think about my, uh, my next door neighbor in college, Tom Kelly, who went to school one morning and came back and his whole apartment was emptied out. And so he came over to our place and he said, can you guys, they stole everything. I mean, literally they swept the floor. They just cleaned out his whole apartment, furniture, his clothes, everything. And he said, can you guys loan me a pillow and a blanket and a sheet? And we're like, no, we've got a couch. Just stay on our couch. He said, no, I want to experience this misery, he said. 
So he takes the pillow and he goes over and uh, he, gets, he gets over there. And during the night, it was a rainy day, he left his umbrella on the porch. And he says he heard the sound of the metal of the umbrella scraping against the concrete as somebody was picking up his umbrella and he chased the guy down the street saying, bring it back, it's all I've got left. What's yours is mine, I'll take it if I want it. Then in verses 31 and 32, we have a second attitude. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. This is the priest and the Levite who are officially religious. They work for religion. uh, That's their job. And yet, somehow seeing human need, not only do they not do anything about it, but they literally, it literally says they cross over to the other side of the road. They didn't even want to get close. They might get defiled. What if he were dead? So instead of caring about human need, they just sort of ignore the person. It's easy to do that. Maybe you're like me. Sometimes... When somebody else has misfortune, there's something in my soul, it's not a good part of my soul, that goes, that could have been me. That could have happened to me. They they might be thinking, these robbers could have robbed us, but, but they robbed him instead, and so I'm not, and maybe they're still lurking, waiting for us to stop, and so we don't want to be robbed. And, you know, I don't know if you ever, you know, looked up and saw somebody else get a ticket and thought, well, if that could have been me instead of that, that person. And there's almost this strange kind of, I'm grateful it wasn't me. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. But I love the third attitude best, the attitude of the Samaritan who says, what's mine is yours, and I'll give it to you if you need it. Look at the way he describes the compassionate care of the Samaritan. It really starts there in verse 33. And it says he went to him in verse 34, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine, and then he he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And not only that, but he says, look after him, and, and if you need anything else, here's some money, but if you spend all this money taking care of him, there's more where that came from. I will never stop taking care of this person. And I read this this week, and I wondered, so how, when the man woke up from his swoon, and he realized somebody has saved my life, how did he feel about the person who saved his life? Sometimes we look at these stories and we try to figure out who we are in this story. We don't want to be the thieves. We definitely don't want to be the priest and the Levite. I think we're all in agreement. We want to be the good Samaritan. We want to be the person who takes care of another person. But as sure as we say that, we might miss what Jesus is actually saying. For instance, I I noticed this week a story from back in the 1990s when there was a war in the former Yugoslavia and the Bosnian Serbs were fighting against the Muslims. And um, one of the Bosnian Serb families had a young son who was newly married, young wife. Uh, so, so son and daughter-in-law lived with them. And one day they came and arrested the son Zoran and took him away for questioning. And they never saw him again. Five months later, his wife gave birth to a child. The family had no food, and she was unable to nurse the child, and so the child was dying. All they had to give to the child was tea. They were feeding this baby tea, trying to keep the baby alive. For about five days, they fed the baby tea. People in the community knew what was going on, but there was this war between the the Muslims and the non-Muslims, and the baby was going to die until one morning... While the baby was crying, they heard the footsteps coming up their stairs. It was Fadil Fajik, a Muslim, who was bringing milk from his cow, a half of a liter of milk he brought to the family 
to sustain the life of the baby for over a year, for 442 days in a row until the mother and the child moved to a safer place. Fadil Fejek brought a half a liter. That's 221 liters of milk in a time when it was hard to sustain an animal. He wanted to sustain the life of a child. The father, Drago, uh, Drago, the father, the grandfather of the child, said to this day, in our minds, we can hear sometimes the sound of the bombs going off in the distance and the sound of Fadil Fejik's rubber boots clomping up our porch to deliver another offering of milk to keep our granddaughter alive. When somebody does something like that for you, aren't you grateful? I don't know who you are in this story, but I'll just tell you who I am in this story. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the thief. I'm not stealing from people. I hope I'm not the priest and the Levite who just don't care. I want to be the good Samaritan. My best days, I can kind of lean into that, but I have good days and bad days. But I'll tell you, every day, I'm the man who's beaten beside the road, helpless to help myself. And the only hope I have is Jesus Christ, the bread of life, coming to me, bringing oil and wine and healing the wounds in my soul. So Keith Green saying, oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is manna from heaven. He is the bread of life come down. He is a river of life. And aren't we grateful? Shouldn't we be grateful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what Christ has done for us on the cross. Thank you for eternal life that is available to all who will receive it. Remind us again, Lord, that not by our good works, not by our birthright, not by our nationality, not by anything we have done could we ever purchase your salvation. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. Helpless, come to you for grace. Naked, come to you for dress. Foul, we to the fountain fly. Wash us, Savior, or we die. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.